welcome to the Max 6 Community Connections radio show and podcast with your host, Jennifer Burwell and Kyle McIntosh. Max 6 builds better communities where people and businesses thrive. We are broadcasting live from the Max 6 Entrepreneurial Center in Tempe, Arizona, and we'll be shining a light on the incredible stories of businesses we work with and how they are serving our broader community. And here is this week's Community Connection. Today, we have Peter Adams, the owner and CTO of Ping Development. And I guess first, before we get started, Jen, good to see you. Good to virtually see you as well. I miss being in the studio with you, Kyle, but yeah. good to see you. Holding down the fort. So I guess, Peter, first off, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up and how did you find your way to where you are today? Well, I grew up in Colorado, found my way here through college in Kansas and then moving out to Nashville for about four years. and ultimately back here to be a little closer to home. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it, it, it's been interesting. I, when I moved out here, I, I'd intended to start my own company. And so I started working just contract um, through, through an agency here just to have something. And then with the plan of within a year, kind of launching my own thing and um, ended up hitting the goal of about a month early and starting things about uh, 11 months at, into my contract. And it's been my own thing ever since. That's good time. So before we jump right into more about Ping, uh, you have a relatively new child, right? I do. <laughs> How is that going, being an entrepreneur and dad? <laughs> it's it's interesting. It's it's nice that like I've, I've been working from home uh, even before COVID hit. And with my mom here, that got a little bit of a challenge just because, you know, I'm, I'm here and I'm trying to have meetings and all this other stuff and she's taking care of the baby. Um, but it's nice to go out and have lunch and I could have lunch with both of them. I <laughs> sat out there and, and ate with them today. And so that's been great. We're a little terrified because she's about to start walking. Uh, she's taking a couple of oh steps here and there. So <laughs> <laughs> that's where the real fun begins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just like, just like growing a company, right? Right. <laughs> Figure right. it out along the way. So like, tell us, uh, tell us about Ping. What do you guys do? Ping development. Uh, so we're a software development company. Um, we do focus on web development, um, which a lot of people think that that, that means websites and, um, well, there, there are things that are, are website related that we can do. Uh, we typically leave the marketing types of activities that goes along with building a website and a web presence for marketing purposes to digital marketing. What we focus on is more like product development, uh, operations, managing the day-to-day using either software or integration uh, with just a variety of systems. Um, a, a perfect example is, is one of our clients has... Uh, had a need where they, so they're a, um, a law firm and they needed to manage all of their client information, but all of the practice management tools that are out there, they're really heavy towards litigation. And that's not what her practice was. And so we, she had us come in and we built a custom practice management solution for her that she can actually market and license to other uh, law firms that are in her same industry. Um, and then we just focused on connecting that so that they aren't copying and pasting everything into every other system that they use for, for their marketing and things like that. Super cool. So uh, Peter, take us back for a second. Like what got you interested in this industry? Like what made you decide like, Oh, I want to be a software developer. It was a weird shift, uh, back in college. I was originally planning on going into architecture. I went, I visited the campus I visited the computer uh, computer science building. I ultimately ended up actually leaving even that uh, particular uh, college and and went over to the business college where I graduated. But I just I enjoyed and had more questions and was more interested on the on the computer side, and then realized that I didn't really like the the really close to the 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 hardware computer programming, and I really enjoyed more the website which they taught out of the business school and. So I ultimately switched my major over to there and graduated with a business degree. And um, I was simply more uh, 
they teach you a lot more on analytics. Uh, with a, uh, it's a management information systems degree. Um, they teach you more data and, and kind of communicating and being a liaison. Um, I just happen to be already a, a pretty strong coder. And I just got really, really, really lucky in college. First, one of the first two people I met was starting his own company. And this was back in the days of dial-up. <laughs> so he was doing dial-up internet access. And I started working for him doing tech support, phone tech support to help people when they're having problems connecting and things like that. And then about a year into it, when broadband started to come out, he said, you know what? We're, we're going to have to make a switch. And we're going to start doing doing websites and, and software to, and web software and stuff like that. So, and there was me and another guy there at the time. He said, whichever one of you two learns PHP first, you're, you're the developer. So I won. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> and needless to say, I won. That, that's, that's awesome. So I have um, three small kids as well. Um, my oldest is six and he is really starting to get into, you know, the like, video games, but he's really interested in like how things are built in different pieces. So what advice do you have, if you have any, for parents who are like, hmm, I think my kid might be interested in like what's what's like a beginning level to like introduction to coding or like what are some skills that would be good to be working on? Find something fun that you wanna wanna build, automate, track, whatever, and go for it with with someone that young, it'd be more like thinking about the types of STEM interactions. Get them STEM toys. I mean, I started writing stupid little scripts and messing around with my brothers on the computer when I was like eight. So oh. <laughs> I see your daughter's future full of STEM toys and <laughs> robots and things. Cool. That's good advice. Do these have to be for kids? These sound fun to me too. That's yeah. <laughs> STEM toys and making little things. That's probably about the level I'd be at if I entered into this right now. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, there's stuff now that I, it, it's insane. I would love to have, have had some of that stuff. I taught or I uh, not taught, but I spoke to a class, a high school class um, a couple of years ago. They do programming and, and it was, it was more on the hardware side than anything. They were actually building robots in their high school class to go around and they, they trained the robot to go out and like pick up the red ball and bring it back. That's so That's cool. Awesome. There's a, there's another community member, Ben Johnson, um, in our space who does a lot around this stuff too. And he brought in, um, have you heard, I'm sure you've heard of the raspberry Pis, mm-hmm. where you can like program them and do all sorts of things. And so he's, he works with his kids and I think he's had a couple classes as well. Um, it's just so fascinating to me. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's so many different options now with technology that if you have even a basic understanding of code, you don't have to go into web development. Like I happen to be, that's, that's my specialty is business applications. But I mean, you, you like coding, you can go in and start doing space stuff. Um, Go work for NASA. Um, You can go work for SpaceX. You can do satellite stuff. My dad did uh, satellite trajectories. I mean, it's it's all just programming. Do you it's see? So crazy. Do you see anything on the cusp of the analogy of going from dial-up to broadband? And and you know, is there any wild new technology coming out, or is it just iterations of what we've got getting better? It's most most of what I've been seeing has really been iterations of of what we've got getting better and and faster. I I think there's more people that are looking at coding to, to do space exploration than I've seen at any time in my life, uh, which I think is great. Um, I'm really excited to see like what some of these people do with, with their code and, and you know, where, where it takes us. Um, but that's, that's probably the closest thing. I keep looking at programming languages and things like that. And people talk to me about, uh, at least other developers talk to me about, you know, the, the language that, that I use that I've been using for, for 20 years. And it's still, I mean, it runs, it runs on about 80% of all web servers and it actually runs about 40% of the entire internet. The wow. language does. I've not seen anything that's quite ready to overtake it. There's a, a couple of programming language out, languages out there that, that are definitely have potential 
Um, I think Node has real potential to, to out PHP as, as kind of the, the primary language of the web, but not until it gets a, a slightly better ecosystem put together. Um, but I can see that one maybe, it, I, I think it's where PHP was uh, about five years before it took over as number one. Wow. Well, there's, wow. there's too much going on on Earth right now anyways. Let's go explore space. <laughs> I, I'm all in yes. for that. Seems like a good time to leave, yeah. So, <laughs> Peter, let me give you a scenario to see if I understand um, ping development's specialty. So, for what you guys do, you you can create apps for businesses, right? Yes. Is that a good scenario? So, I'll tell you what's in my head instead of giving the making this so mysterious. So, um, for instance, <laughs> my father-in-law and I own um, a, a donut business, and with the change of COVID and all the stuff that's happening, curbside pickup and, and takeout and all these things, we've been like, you know, it'd be really helpful to have a really simple app where people could order through the app and then pick up and then we would bring their orders out versus like trying to piecemeal some of the things that we have um, or use our website that doesn't have a good solution. So is that type of problem something that you guys would be able to solve? Is that a good case for you? Yeah. So what, what you're talking about is called click and collect. I've started seeing modules and different components out there for existing e-commerce systems. I haven't been terribly impressed with the ones I've seen so far, just because I think they were developed so quickly to respond so fast that quality kind of fell a little bit by the wayside. And then it was also on some e-commerce com- systems that are in their infancy still. But it's, I mean, it's certainly something that is out there that's starting to, to come up. Um, and it's, I mean, it's even crossed my mind to, to look at how to create a component to do just that. Um, Hmm. but it, it boils down to you, you know, all you're trying to do is solve a problem and say, uh, instead of picking your shipping method, your delivery method, I don't want UPS. I don't want FedEx. I want to come down, pick it up, but I need to pick a time that I want to come down. That's really all it's doing. Um, and so it's, it's a slightly different behavior on existing systems that are already out there. Interesting. I was intrigued when I was prepping for the show that I read some things that you said, you know, um, sometimes creating an, an app is not a great idea, you know, and I was thinking, we saw this a lot, Kyle, when um, we were an incubator and we had a lot of companies coming through and everybody was going to create this app that was amazing. And I'm sure a lot of it, and it was wonderful, but I was intrigued when I saw that, you know, sometimes that's not the best recommendation. So is there a way that you, can you quickly talk us through like a good use case and maybe you should think about it or consider or how do you decide if you should make an app or not? It, I, it's absolutely a case by case. What I find is if you're, you can do pretty much everything in a mobile app that you can do in a, uh, in a web app now. The browsers have become so robust and the, the capabilities that are available now that you can access through a web application. There really isn't much difference between a web app versus a mobile app and a browser a web app and a browser versus a mobile app. The, the way that I typically look at it is, you know, what, what are you wanting for the, the product? A lot of things that are on the go. So things that use really heavy location services where you need something where you're going to be tracking somebody's actual location for whatever reason. Uh, all trails, perfect example. Um, you know, you're recording that track when you're out for a hike or out for a bike ride. That needs to be an app because the, the browser isn't going to consistently send uh, a location signal to your app, whereas an app can actually get that information from the phone. Generally speaking, if you're building, if the app is the product, yes, a mobile app, but even then you have to look at what do you want to build first? Because it, there, anytime you build a mobile app, you're really building two apps, regardless of whether or not you're going to have someone interacting with your app through a browser or not, you still have to create this uh, component, this app that's in the cloud that your mobile app that sits on everybody's devices actually communicates with. And there's uh, there, there are server or services out there now that kind of provide that immediate backend for you if you want it. But then you still have to connect it somehow. So then you'd have to go on and create a web app that communicated with that same backend. And then you're kind of, you're kind of locking yourself into somebody else's platform on top of that. So th- there's a lot of things to think about, not the least of which is cost, because 
I mean, if you're building two apps, it's going to be a one for one factor of two, but it's going to be, you know, one at one and a half to two times what it would cost to just develop the web app. Interesting. How do you, how do you see uh, what I heard you say uh, or in response to Jen is uh, there was some things that went out there responding to the market and immediate need. Uh, some of it probably went out a little too quick and wasn't quite ready, but hey, there's some new stuff coming that, that does a better job of that. What do you, I mean, people have got to be coming to you uh, all the time and saying, hey, I just need an app for this immediate thing I need right now. How much time do you spend? Okay, I can solve that problem for you, but thinking strategically longer term what this could be. Yeah, I try not to do any kind of rush work. I don't like doing it because quality suffers. And ultimately, people people look at you and it's like, well, it's it's your fault that it sucks. Like, why didn't you write it write it correctly the first time? And it boils down to it's a factor of time. I come back a lot uh, and have really started putting this uh, in my initial conversations. You can have it good, you can have it fast, and you can have it cheap, but you get to pick two. Yep. I mean, that holds up every single time. Yeah, I can do it good and I can do it fast, but it is not going to be cheap. I put premiums uh, onto my time for, for a reason at this point. But if you want it, you know, fast and you want it cheap, it's not going to be that great. It just, it, it can't be. You don't have the time to dedicate to, to really doing the quality, uh, the quality of testing that, that you need to do in order to really finish it. And what about, I mean, guidance that you give on somebody that comes in and has this need for something right now, but as it evolves into something, some bigger picture application that they might need for their business, is there some of that in the, in the process? Yeah. Uh, so typically what we do is uh, we, we sit down and we have that, that initial meeting and we talk through uh, what, is, what is their goal? What did, what did they ultimately need it to do? And then we talk a little bit about, you know, when you have to have it. What is the, what's that drop dead date that this needs to be done? And we kind of look at it from that, from that standpoint. We try to compartmentalize it so that we, we can take out the little, uh, certain little pieces and kind of modularize the project so that they can say, okay, well, this, this kind of can wait uh, maybe a couple of extra months. Like I really need this piece right now. That's what I really try to guide people to is what, on, on this project, what is, what is the one thing that you need the most? And then let's prioritize it from there. Because we can always continue working and building on kind of that base component, but we really target a three-month time frame. What can we realistically get done and put in front of someone that accomplishes the most immediate need in a three-month time frame? What's your favorite type of projects to work on? I, you know, I, I'm, I'm all across the board. I, I love problem solving in general. What I found is I've, I've really developed a niche doing document generation types of things. We generate a lot of, uh, a lot of PDFs. We've got a client that generates um, mortgage forms, so pre-qualification forms, pre-qualification letters in other states, but the Arizona-specific forms it generates those, I think we're doing like 40 or 50,000 of them a month. Um, and it just generates them to PDF. And then we do a lot with, uh, it's kind of taking out the, the whole mail merge thing where uh, you have your Excel spreadsheet and you just create a whole bunch of uh, Word documents and then print all of those out. We do essentially the same thing, but we do it with an application and then generate a PDF from it. I, I, I enjoy working on those. More recently, I got the opportunity to work on something that was uh, in the builder industry, which was, it was just a lot of fun to take um, essentially a floor plan that somebody could customize. We get all this information that we actually take all the original information and we would render it into a custom marketing brochure that somebody had customized their floor plan to. So that's like when somebody like picks the options, like, hey, I want this wall here or I want this type of kitchen. And then your system generates their selections. Yep, exactly. Wow. That's very cool. That's super cool. That one, that one was probably the, the most complex thing that I've worked on because there was like, I just worked, <clears throat> I just worked on the, the data management side. So we were having to, you know, store all of these things. And then, uh, you know, they, all, all the floor plans were just getting uploaded. And then I was just manipulating them. Um, I learned a few different things on that project, but then there's an entire front end that's kind of the, 
this is what people are actually going to interact with. You know, what's interesting about hearing you talk about all this is when you're, when you talked about the first example of here's a business that needs to turn forms into PDFs, they're mortgage forms, and there's 50,000 of them. And you could sit back and say, oh, that's, that's boring. 50,000 forms into PDFs or, you know, or, or almost like take it for granted that there's this thing that's been created by you that you're super passionate about that just makes someone's life easier to be able to process 50,000 instead of what's the non-automated version of how they were having to do that in the past. And like pen and paper. It, it, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so not, I mean, not only is it not boring, but like exciting this stuff that people just take for granted now because it just happens. It just works. It's our expectation. But uh, there's, there's Peter Adams is uh, behind all of this stuff, creating new things for everybody. It's very cool. Yeah. And I mean, that, that's, that's what I really love. The, the different projects. Um, I really focused myself into providing uh, software, but thinking about it from a security perspective, it's less of an issue now, but the first 15 years before um, all, the, all the hacks and data breaches and everything really really came to light, it, it, I was hard pressed to find a developer that even thought about security. They were like, yeah, that's not my job. You know, that's, that's the network guys. They, they, they can figure it out. And now I'm finding more developers are, are at least thinking about it, which is good. Um, but there's still, I had a conversation last night uh, in, a, in a user group. One of the guys is like, well, I couldn't figure this one thing out. So, you know, I, I just disabled it. And there was a lot of back and forth and thinking about it. And um, what he disabled, not the worst thing in the world. But at the same time, like I wouldn't do it. Um, I would have sat there and fought it and figured it out. The best soundbite that really came out of that that particular conversation was security. It, it's an ongoing discussion, number one, but it's really just a series of decisions. You know, you have to decide how much you really need to protect things and how much of an effort you want to make in order to get to the things that you have. It's really just making, you know, a 10-foot thick steel door and that unfortunately, because technology is improving, that 10 foot thick steel door kind of deteriorates over time and gets, gets thinner and therefore easier to breach. So you have to find out, okay, well, how do I get it back to 10 feet? So I would assume you probably recommend the like, the, what is it called? Two step authentication. I don't even know. Multi factor authentication, yeah. Two, yeah, two that. That's, yeah. that's so annoying that I am always like, no, forget it. But that's probably <laughs> not the best. What I'm hearing is that's not a good idea. I, um, you know, it strong password is going to be just as good. Or, well, sorry, I shouldn't say that. A strong password is going to be good if you don't want to deal with two factor. But it really comes down to like how important, how bad is it going to be if somebody gets a hold of that information? I use two factor on my bank account. I don't want people to get into that. I use two factor on all of my my cloud infrastructure uh, accounts. I don't want people to get into that. Um, that's 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 servers, like that's passwords, things like that. That that's that's access. It it really you you have to make the decision to a certain extent. It's a personal decision of how how badly do I think people are going to try and grab my inf- this information uh, and kind of go from there. It strikes me you've you've got a huge knowledge base and able to answer some of these questions that you know, Jen is bringing up or, or myself. And how does, I mean, what questions would you recommend someone asking a software uh, developer before starting a project? I mean, there's, there's the ones, I guess, you know, you know, but I feel like there's so much more that it's such a good analogy of how thick the wall is that I would, it, it makes it so much easier to understand why security is important. Some of the questions it's, it's harder for those to, to come to a layperson. It's not that they can't understand. It's that each person is going to be a little bit different and they're not going to necessarily know the nuance of what the answer is. Programmers, in, in some cases, and I've seen it, they can talk a pretty good game. It helps to ha- get second op- opinions. If, if you can hire someone who has more technical expertise, buddy of yours that, that works for you know, company XYZ in, in IT and software development, 
to just help you evaluate some things, they'll at least be able to help you kind of at, at least perform a sniff test um, as to whether or not this the guy that you're talking to really knows what they're what they're talking about. Good questions though are always, you know, how do you bill? What kind of projects have you built in the past? You definitely want to see if you can at least some past work, particularly completed projects. One of the the early on challenges that I ran into being uh, when I went out on my own, a lot of people after the last economic uh, recession just walked away from projects. It got a bunch of people flooded the market. Uh, people were laid off and they came out and said, well, I can do this myself. And so they went and they started just writing a bunch of code and software and that went fine for a couple of years. Then the economy got better and they're like, well, I, I don't really like doing this freelancing thing anymore. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to head back to the corporate world. And they just left a bunch of people high and dry. I don't want to say just because somebody has only been doing it for a year, like don't consider them because that's not realistic. People have to start somewhere. Definitely consider, you know, seeing if they'd be willing to partner with either someone else or see, gauging their comfort level on really accomplishing the project especially if it's something really complex or something that's business critical, you've got to, to make sure that you, you get somebody that knows what they're doing um, and at least considers security. You know, if, if you say, hey, you know, what, what sort of limits would you put on a password? And they're like, uh, password doesn't need to be more than eight characters. Eh, maybe, maybe don't. <laughs> oh gosh, you're bursting all sorts of bubbles today. <laughs> trouble. So we, so I'm curious, and we kind of touched on it in the beginning of the difference between uh, developer or website design. So there's two companies in our, there's three companies in our spaces. There's, there's you doing development work. There's uh, Resound Creative who does uh, uh, brand development work there. Uh, we had them, Mike on the show a few weeks back and, uh, Rev77 is a digital marketing company, SEO, digital marketing of various kinds. What might the interplay look like uh, as you're saying, hey, if you're talking to a developer, uh, see if they'd be willing to partner with uh, various other groups. I mean, I guess part of it's if they haven't really proven themselves is what you were saying more. But Mm -hmm. what might it look like to work on a project together on something? So a lot of times um, I can step in as like a project manager. I've been managing a lot of my own projects. We use a project management system, uh, developing out the project plan and everything. We can always step in as kind of the, the discovery person, not necessarily build it, but actually gather like what is the actual scope so that the client can then take that. They don't want to go with us because they don't like our pricing. It's just, it's not going to work. They can uh, take that, uh, having you know paid for the project plan, take that and shop around with with other ones, and and at least that way they're going to get an apples to apples comparison through of you know what is it going to take to do a technical scope. That could be a potential partnership with uh, maybe a new developer. Mike at Resound has done programming jobs. A lot of a lot of the difference between you know where where I'm writing stuff and where most digital marketing companies need a programmer. Most digital marketing companies just need one to maybe modify a plugin or create a plugin for a WordPress site. That's, that's not really a space that, that I personally play in, but I can help with other developers kind of understand you know, how to put something like that together. Tell me if this makes sense, Peter. The way I have it in my head, and maybe, maybe I'm not right or incorrect. So let's go back to the mortgage company who does 50,000 PDFs, which is interesting because I'm refinancing my house and I had a bunch of PDFs generated yesterday online and I didn't even think about it. And now I know to appreciate that much better. But anyways, so this client needs this service. You build the software that does that work. Could then a Resound type business build the front end experience for a customer to see? And then the digital marketing company Rev seventy seven could then promote it to everybody to know about the company. Yeah, Is that's that- that's absolutely an, uh, n- another option. I'm a back end developer. Everything that we do is is kind of the, the back end code. We will partner occasionally when there's a specific 
user experience that that someone wants, we'll actually partner with a creative company to help us do the wireframing of the actual uh, user interface that we'll then build and actually implement. But they just give us a wireframe that says, this is what we want it to do. And then we build everything else kind of behind the scenes. Speaking of community members, and there's another one uh, that is a part of Max 6, the Tempe Chamber of Commerce. And I know, mm-hmm. Peter, you're very involved. What all do you do with the chamber? And uh, the second question is why? <laughs> um, I do a lot of committee meetings. I started on the ambassadors. I expanded to what was, see, the business. I forget what it was for one year before I chaired it, but Business Development Council, now the, the Business Innovation and Strategy Council, expanded from there to the Owners Forum. Uh, most recently, I, I just took over as chair of the Government Relations Transportation Committee. So I do a lot of committees. Why is the, the chamber has, has really grown my, my entire business. Without the chamber, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be in business right now. I met a ton of mentors and just got a lot of great, great advice to help me, you know, find a niche because originally I was kind of all over the place and I'm, was not that talkative and not that, not that great at presenting myself. And when it came down to it, I really had to find a niche and a specialty and, um, the connections in the chamber ultimately helped me do that. I haven't done a lot of like direct business with the chamber, but the it, that's not what it's ever been about. It's always been, they've been able to connect me, the, the people in the chamber to people outside of the chamber that I otherwise probably wouldn't have ever met. So, I mean, that's, that's really why I do it. I've been in the chamber for eight years and I've been in business for eight years. That's great. That's, I mean, we're, we're so, as a business, Max 6, so focused on community. We talk about all the time, building better communities where people and businesses thrive and finding I think it's an important thing to a new entrepreneur, any entrepreneur, any business, be a part of the community that's out there. I mean, you just spoke to the benefits of being connected to everybody else, whether you're working directly on a project with them or not. There's so much good knowledge out there to just share with one another. And, and, you know, even if I'm just sitting at a computer working, I don't have to be disconnected from everyone around me that can help and, and where I can help with them. Yeah. It's challenging when you first get going. And, you know, the, the first summer that I was doing this, I ended up, I had to go out and get another contract job, W-2. Uh, and I did that. I, I went to them and specifically said, I, I'm going to do this, but I need to be able to continue, you know, working on, on this piece. Everything will get done, uh, but I need to be able to work remote. And so I actually worked remote for the American Board of Radiology in Tucson. Uh, while well, I stayed up here and continued networking and going to mixers and, and building my company. I only needed the, the three or four months to get through. And then all of a sudden, you know, things, things kind of panned out. It's stressful uh, when, you're, when you're first starting out. You know, that first year, you're, you're so hungry and you just want to take on everything. But if you don't narrow it down uh, and narrow it down quickly, you're, you're not going to get anything. And I think that's, that's really the, the biggest thing I wish I would have known kind of going into it was don't think about all of the stuff that you can do. Like think about the, the specialty things that you're really good at that you want to do. I wish I could remind myself of that every day. <laughs> oh my gosh, you and me both. Kyle needs to remind me of that every hour. <laughs> Such great advice. So I was just going to ask you, Peter. So when we were talking about when you, when you were starting out and, um, how the world has kind of changed in the last couple of months, right? Mm-hmm. How have you been adjusting? We were talking a little bit before we got on our radio show, but how have you been adjusting to um, the new world and how, how has that impacted your business? It's been interesting. Uh, I was already working from home uh, most of the time anyway. I, I had a, a, a space at a, another co-working area that... I hadn't. I was going to, you know, maybe once a week, once a month. It became once a month. It so not a lot changed there. Pretty much since my daughter was born, I just focused. I I just worked from home for the most part, and I I committed to only be gone no more than a half a day at any on any given day. When when COVID hit, it the hardest thing was 
the fact that, you know, all of my marketing has always been networking. I, you know, I was always going, going to the, going to chamber events, things like that. And network marketing just, it wasn't happening. And so I don't have, I, I still don't, I'm in the process of, of building it now, uh, a, a digital marketing apparatus. I just didn't have anything in place. So it's, it, it's nice that some of the, some of the people that I, I have met over the last eight years have at least reached out and, and had some different things, but it's, it's, it's starting to take it, take its toll. Um, kind of what, four, four and a half months in, um, mm-hmm. it's, it's getting to a point where, um, you know, I've, I've got to start shifting some things around and, and really making some, some different decisions. And so that's, that was kind of where, where my conversations landed, uh, last week. So what is like, if you could have your ideal customer walk through the door, like what is your most ideal next project? I'm really looking for people that are, maybe they're, they're interested in, in getting some custom software, but the reality is they aren't sure which one it is. And uh, I'm, I'm looking for somebody that needs to kind of figure out that strategy. Do they need a custom solution? Can they get by with uh, an, an off-the-shelf solution? Can they just get a bunch of WordPress plugins and, and that'll work? It's really, for me, somebody that, that is trying to figure out how to automate parts of their business or at least set things up so that it, it just reduces the amount of, of time it takes to do things. And there's, there's a strategy involved in that. And if someone isn't sure how to approach it, it's a perfect person for me to talk to. I have a two-part question. I'll tie it together. It might get a little fishy for a minute. But one <laughs> is um, just going back to the, the COVID conversation for a second. I'm curious if there's anything that is positive that you've taken out of this change that's happened. And maybe it's directly COVID related. I mean, you've had some time at home with family. I'm sure there's positive stuff. I know there's positive stuff. We talked about this two days ago, watching from speed crawling to potential walking. But um, (laughs) the second question is, so with whatever changes are going on, positive, negative, have you figured new things out? I'm curious about the longer term. Like, what does your company look like in five years? I've been learning a lot because I haven't been going to as many events and, or I haven't been spending the time traveling to events. I've, I've been able to, to sit down and, and start learning some new things that I kind of set on a back burner and I hadn't had time to. One of the things I, I did was I just had an epiphany one day while I was out mountain biking and I'm like, hey, I think I can solve online national voting. I think I can figure this out. So I built a system to do that and, and take care of it. And I started trying to sell it um, and reaching out to people uh, in different states. And what I ultimately found out from that is legislation is going to have to change in all 50 states in order for it to, to be an option. So I'm pivoting a little bit with that one, but I've been trying to find ways to, to improve and, and refine what I've been doing. And that's, that's been one of the biggest things is having the time to be able to do that. So I love learning new stuff. I just haven't had a whole lot of time because I've been busy. So now with it kind of tapering down at least a little bit, I can go and learn some some new tools, some some new infrastructure. Uh, I figured out a, a a new way of kind of setting up my my application environments to allow for a much uh, much larger user base. My load tests are showing I can uh, one thing that I developed can probably handle about 54 million people in a month. Wow. So, I mean, it's oh my gosh. <laughs> just things to figure out. And, and that's, that's really what I've, what I've had from, uh, that's just been positive is all the stuff that I can learn. Do you see, you know, at some point we'll get back to some sort of normal slash not get back to you, but some new for, and you're going to, we're all going to have to, uh, reflect on this, I hope. And, and all right, we had this time to take a second and learn some new things. And do you see, I mean, it sounds like you're continuously learning all the time, but uh, taking some time, even when it gets busy in the future, to can find new things like that, that you could build into projects in the future. 
Yeah. I mean, I've, I've always done that. Sometimes it takes long. It takes longer when I, when I've got a lot of projects going on because I don't have as much time to really dedicate to, to focusing and learning it to the extent that I would feel comfortable implementing it in a client's project for, for pay. Ultimately, I know that I see my company changing to develop a product. I don't know what that product is right now. I've got three or four that are kind of in the fire between the election software, which is uh, that's likely to become and, and pivot more toward focusing on on things like uh, student government elections, board board elections and decisions. Because I mean, people are are still going to vote. They're still going to have to record that information. Why not do it? And can, I mean, if we're going to be meeting over Zoom for the next six months to a year, um, and even after, um, there's no reason to not be able to just record votes digitally that way. Mobile apps, um, I started looking at providing kind of some different ways for people to, to differentiate themselves and for independent financial advisors. Created an app that goes, it just gets configured with somebody's information. We white label it and publish it out on the store for them. And it's a series of financial calculators. You know, that's, that's really where I see things going long-term, at least for, for me and my company. The client works fantastic and I, I love the projects that I have, but I would also like to, to try and build something of my own. So you have people working for you, with you. How much time do you think about uh, company culture doing what you do and thinking about what it means to uh, be bought into why you're doing what you're doing as a company or what the relationships of uh, uh, the company and the values or any? I'm curious about any of that that you've developed along the way. Culture is something that I've, I've continually struggled with, uh, with me being the only person and knowing the code and then running the business, it, it's been something of a challenge to, to figure that out. I do have one part-time or two part-time employees now. One handles tech support and the other one is a junior web developer uh, that I've been teaching almost a year now. He's been working for me. And for me, the biggest struggle has been finding a way to get people to, to care about writing code and, and, you know, writing, doing it the right way and providing the best quality in the same way that, you know, I think about it. Because that's, that's really how I got my start was doing it right. We took over a lot of projects that were just a, either abandoned or not done very well or just kind of left by the wayside that, that needed to be completely rewritten. That's how I got my start. And I, I was always able to take over what someone else did and look at it and go, okay, we can make this work. Whereas most other developers will look at it and be like, yeah, this, this, this thing's crap. Like you just need to rewrite it. We recognize that, you know, the decisions that created that were, I mean, they are what they are. It's working ish. It's just hard to make changes to it. And so that's, that's what we focus on is, okay, let's, let's find a way to, to get these changes that you need and start working towards a, a long-term strategy to, to do that. Getting other, particularly junior-level developers, to think about that same thing is, is something of a challenge. Are you good at puzzles? I think I am. You it's seem like you would be good at puzzles. Like, as I'm hearing this, <laughs> piecing things together and finding... I mean, what you're saying, basically, is I find this <laughs> thing that isn't fully built out yet, and I have to imagine what it's going to look like and figure out how to bring it to completion. I mean, that's, do you, do you have any other like hobbies or anything that manifests in that way? Like in a, in a tactile way like that? I am a tabletop gamer. So I grew up playing things like Dungeons and Dragons and all that stuff. And I still get together. We're doing it virtually now, but every two weeks with a group of friends and we play some games. So I, that, that has, that that feeds a little bit more of the creative side, but there's there's very much some puzzle pieces to that. Yeah, I mean between that, mountain biking, motorcycling, that's pretty much my hobbies. <laughs> that's that sounds good to me. That's yeah. <laughs> so we have a couple of questions we always ask. 
not really on topic of anything, but just out of curiosity to get to know people in our community a little bit more. The one that I'll ask first is, uh, Peter, what is your all-time favorite book? And if it's different, what book would you recommend? I've been doing a lot more audiobooks, but I'm still doing a lot with fiction. Most recently, though, nonfiction, I, I really enjoyed Trevor Noah's Born a Crime. It, it was a fascinating read. And, and of course, we got the audiobook, so we were listening to it. Uh, my wife and I in the car, I think it was the, the trip we took to, to Vegas for a medical conference for her. And we were listening to it on the way there. And it, it's really entertaining to hear Trevor Noah in his own voice just talk about his story and his mom, his grandmother. Um, it was just a, a great, great story. Fiction, I read a lot of science fiction, a lot of sci-fi, a lot of fantasy. Um, that's just, Rick, that, that, what, that's my niche. <laughs> what's, uh, what's a good one? I, I've read a number of books, or I guess a couple of years ago is when I read a bunch of, or I listen to a lot of books too, I guess. it's uh, I'll go back and forth, but I'm curious what, uh, if there's anything specific in the sci-fi fantasy. I have, so um, not my favorite author, but um, a recent one that I, that I read that I just randomly discovered, King's Dark Tidings. Good book. Um, good series. Yeah, really good series. It's like four, four books, I think, and a bit of a twist in that fourth book that I, I did not anticipate. It was, it was very interesting. I liked it. I've, got, I've gotten through the first three. And so I'll, I, I just found out, I think, that there's a fourth that I'll have to, I'll have to pick Kingdoms up. Kingdoms and Chaos. Yep. Right, yep. It's a fantastic book. And so for my question, what is one thing um, that people are often surprised to learn about you that most people don't know? Well, the tabletop gamer tends to, every once in a while, throw people for a loop. But I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I tend to be pretty, pretty open just in general. People, I, I don't hide a whole lot, but I think people are, are genuinely surprised when they realize I'm, I'm very much an introvert. Mm -hmm. I would much prefer to hang out at home, just kind of what I'm doing. I'm kind of hitting the, that four month mark and it's, it's starting to, to wear a little thin, but on, on busy weeks, like I just come home and I get away from everything and I just plop and, and just avoid going anywhere. So the people are very surprised that I'm an introvert simply because I'm capable of conversation. What are you, Jen? I don't know. I'm like, I think I'm a situational extrovert, but... Because there's times where people definitely give me energy, but then there are other days where I have like Peter where I'm like, oh my gosh, I need a dark room away from everyone. I don't know. I'm, like, I'm, yeah. I'm like you, Peter. It's I, I love a moment where I'm on stage in front of a bunch of people as sort of an extreme. And then I've got to go sit in a room by myself for a while and kind of decompress. Like I, it's, yep. just, it's draining. And it is. I, I don't know if it's like a, capability or, or what I love doing it but it's I'm definitely an introvert too yeah yeah it's it, it's it's always been a challenge and just talking about things I'm always nervous I never liked public speaking but it, what else am I going to do like this this was how I I chose to to run my life too so I adapt but there's definitely days like I've come home usually Thursdays I, I tend not to schedule anything on Fridays and I'll come home Thursdays from some some event somewhere, and I'm just like I'm I'm done. Like, where's a beer? Where's <laughs> well, yeah. let's cook dinner and let's just do nothing. I'm gonna sit and stare at the television. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. So I think we probably have time for one more question. I have I don't know Jen if you have anything after that, but um. I guess you're, you're relatively new to our space, Peter. Uh, what's your experience been like? So that, that first day was, um, I was not anticipating having, that I was going to have any conversations. I figured it was going to be pretty quiet. I was just going to come in get some things done and that would be the end of it. And I ended up talking with, uh, you mentioned Ben, uh, Ben Johnson earlier, uh, ended up talking with him for probably a good hour, just about tech stuff. Uh, and kind of the different niches that we have. We both program in the same same language, 
but he's he's much more of a data guy that, uh, than I am and and has some some other interests that they're just they're not they don't necessarily interest me or they're just not something that I've, I've explored so like from that perspective it was fantastic and I, I know that when I was first looking at it part of the reason that I wanted to move because I needed a place where there was more of a community that just that wasn't something that I had at the previous location that I was at. And so I'm looking forward to things kind of getting back to some some kind of whatever normal and that being there again. But I mean, it was it was great just going in for a half a day and being able to talk with, you know, two, three people about something other than, you know, making babble noises at my, <laughs> my infant. <laughs> There was there was no end to my joy when I saw you talking to Ben. It was like there's community happening. There's there's people in the space and they're they're talking about stuff that they're passionate about. And it's just I mean, that's part of what I love coming in and seeing it every day. And so it's been uh, you know, hit or miss on the day and just as people are coming into the office or staying at home. And so it was cool to see. Yeah. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. So Jen, any last questions for you? Oh, I think you answered all my questions. This is so interesting to me. I love diving into people's businesses that I know nothing about. And <laughs> I'm so glad there are people like you. Um, but I really enjoyed getting to know you better. Awesome. Thank you. So, Peter, can you let anybody listening know how we can find you online or find more about uh, Ping Development? You can find me on LinkedIn, uh, linkedin.com slash in slash soul minion, S-O-L uh, minion. You can find me at soulminion.com, S-O-L, uh, again, S-O-L-minion.com, or just shoot me an email, peter at soulminion.com. Great. Thank you, Peter Adams, for being on the show today. Uh, great conversation. And until next time, thank you for being an awesome part of the community. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Max 6 Community Connection radio show and podcast with your hosts, Jennifer Burwell and Kyle McIntosh. We are off to continue building better communities where people and businesses thrive and telling the stories of capitalism as a force for good through the businesses that we serve. To be a part of the conversation, join us for a tour of the Max 6 Entrepreneurial Center in Tempe, Arizona, or find us at max6.com.